Greetings and welcome to the Cathartic Yardstick with your hosts, Ray and Mark. In this episode, your intrepid hosts discuss interesting stories from science and outer space. Ever wonder why aliens don't visit Earth more? Well, bad news travels fast. Our reviews are awful. We only get one star. Welcome to the Cathartic Yardstick Podcast. I'm Ray. I'm still Mark. And this is still our podcast. Uh, coming up on the big 50th. Uh, That's right. This more is to episode go. 48. 48. Hard to believe. It's been about four years we've been doing Somewhat, this. Something like that. Yeah. Pretty, Should we pretty tell amazing. our thousands or hundreds of thousands of listeners what we have in store for the 50th episode? Or yeah. should we Or should yeah, we make we'll, it a secret? Oh, let's, let's tease it a little bit. Okay. We, tease uh, it. Something right. special. We're, we're going to have something special. We're going to, in the tradition of many uh, late night talk shows, uh, we're going to have a clip show. We're going to have highlights from the, the last 50 episodes. It's going to be exciting. Yeah, best of the best. I'm going to wear my Sunday best. Or I may wear nothing at all. <laughs> I feel like we should be wearing tuxes. We should. Hope we rent them at the same place. <laughs> right. So We've anyways. done that. We we've rented tuxes in the same place. <laughs> I think. Have. I, feel I, like hope we the, have. I hope the event goes better. <laughs> oh gosh. <sighs> oh, it was a cold night. It was a cold mm -hmm. night. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Bad flashback. Yeah. But we had All fun. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. It was worth doing. Yeah. So what episode are we doing tonight, Uncle Ray? We're gonna be talk about uh more stuff going on with, with Aliens and uh, unexplained aerial phenomena. Uh, it continues being in the news. Uh, and uh, there's no resolution yet. And nothing's being officially taken off the table at this point as an explanation for what's going on. I think it's actually getting a bit more interesting as to how they're phrasing things. Yes. You can almost read between the lines that Something's going on, but it definitely shows a big shift in the government thinking about uh, UFOs or unidentified aerial phenomena and UAPs. Well, I think just that name change is very significant. I mean, UFOs yeah. were always associated with, uh, I'm sorry, associated with little green men and uh, guys out hunting drunk in the woods, <laughs> seeing things. Uh, this is much more serious. Uh, this, is, this is reviewing... Uh, you know, flight data and, and camera info from, from fighter jets that are recording right. stuff that they just cannot explain. Right. And, and what I also find interesting is um, there has been a second report, but we'll, uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. The first one we talked about was the preliminary report, but the law, apparently the law that stood up this, uh, this um, all domain anomaly resolution office, the law that stood that up required the director of national intelligence to do an annual report. And so in December, uh, there was the report for 2022. It didn't get anywhere near the amount of um, coverage that the first one did, understandably. Mm -hmm. But if you really read it, there's actually some interesting stuff in there that there have been, you know, term, like changes in the definition of terms, which I'll talk about a little bit, which is like, mm -hmm. well, what prompted that? You know, so there's all kinds of interesting tidbits in there. All right. But would you, um, would, you, would you like me to talk about that, or would you? Uh, well, maybe, maybe, yeah, why don't you go into that, then I'm going to talk a little bit about the Fermi paradox, but uh, uh, why, don't you, why don't you go uh, uh, take that? 
take that and run with it. Now, the Fermi paradox has nothing to do with being puzzled about fermentation in beer. It has nothing uh, to no, do with that's, that. That's not it, no. Why no. do some beers taste better than others? The Fermi paradox. <laughs> that's no. right. This is, this is why it's amazing I passed college. Um, anyway, so at the end of 2022, there was another report to Congress on unidentified aerial phenomenon, or UAPs, by the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, or the you know, AARO, I think they're calling it, and the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, ODNI. So you'll hear some acronyms. Um, we talked about the first one that came out in June 21. The first one that came out in June of 21 talked about 144 UAP reports covering a 17-year period. But the new report in December of 22 reflected a steep increase in the numbers of UAP sightings reported. They had 366 new reports. Uh, 247 were new UAP reports and another 119 that actually occurred in the first part of the year, but hadn't been included for whatever reason into the earlier preliminary report. Now, the officials say that they think the rise in UAP reports is due to government efforts to destigmatize the topics, uh, the topic of UAPs, and instead recognize the potential risks the phenomenons pose, both as an aviation hazard and also as potential adversarial activity such as foreign surveillance efforts. And we've seen the balloons from China and the panic about that. So balloons are actually an intel threat. So of the 366 reports, the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, their initial analysis found that 195 of the 366 were linked to common activities. So 163 were attributed to balloons or balloon-like entities, Another 26 were found to be various types of drones. And so the report also notes an increase in civilian drone use. Six reports were attributed to clutter, like plastic bags, weather phenomenon, birds. But that leaves 177 UAP reports that are unexplained. And some of those deal with objects with what they call unusual flight characteristics, or performance capabilities that require further analysis. And also what's interesting is the AARO is not only studying objects in the air. The military's definition of a UAP was recently expanded to include objects both in the air and the sea, as well as what they're calling transmedium objects. Objects are devices that are observed to transition between space and atmosphere, and between the atmosphere and bodies of water that aren't immediately identifiable. And I think in our first episode on these reports, we had talked about people seeing things hovering by the water and then going under the water. So through the AARO's work, um, the U.S. is particularly keen to learn whether the unexplained phenomenon might signal a foreign adversary's attempt to collect data. And perhaps, the report notes, it will uncover evidence that a potential foe has achieved a breakthrough in aerospace capability. They say sightings continue largely in sensitive and restricted airspace, but they also recognize that that could be because of collection bias, as we have a disproportionate amount of sensors and tracking equipment in the area, 
as well as new reporting guidelines that basically say, if you see it, report it. Don't worry about repercussions. But the report emphasizes that they're concerned about risks to flight safety or potential monitoring by adversaries. Um, they say that UAP pose a risk to safety of flight and also pose a collision hazard to air assets, potentially requiring aircraft operators to adjust their flight patterns in response to these objects' unauthorized presence in the airspace, operating outside air traffic control standards and instructions. They also pose a potential adversary collection threat. They say to date there have been no reported collisions between U.S. aircraft and UAP. Now, here's what I found interesting, too. Um, there had been reports earlier, um, and I'm not sure if they made it into that first report. It's just stuff I read about in the periphery. But um, some of the pilots chasing these things supposedly, uh, in some cases, reported almost like sunburn, sunburn type of symptoms afterwards. And they said regarding health concerns, which is the first time I've heard them talk about that, mm. they said there have been no encounters with UAP confirmed to contribute directly to adverse health-related effects to the observers. But they acknowledge that health-related effects may appear at any time after an event occurs. So AARO will track any reported health implications related to UAP should they emerge. I thought that was really interesting. It is. You know, it's it's interesting that um, the, the sunburn thing, that's kind of common in the UFO lore. That That's one of the things people experience with, with uh, contact with, you know, flying saucers is, you know, right. is that, that, you know, either radiation burns or some other kind of burns uh, from the experience. That's why I kind of like their language that uh, they haven't had encounters confirmed to contribute directly to adverse. So it's kind of like, yeah, some weird stuff happened with pilots coming off, but we don't really know what did it. You know, that's what it sounds like. So I thought that was very interesting. Huge shift from coming up with, oh, you mistook a planet from a UFO or it was swamp gas, a very dismissive attitude uh, to something much more serious. And what's interesting, too, is with the Chinese balloon experience, you kind of see where this isn't just the tinfoil hat um, office of the Pentagon. I mean, they're really watching for all kinds of threats, some more readily you can wrap your mind around more easily than the others. But I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and if you look at the government's response to these these type of phenomena uh, in the 60s, it would have been like Project Blue Book, where they pretty much explained away everything. Like they said, 90% of them are known um, known occurrences of different things, and uh, there's no security threat. Uh, you know, basically, we know what they are. It's not a problem, and uh, there's no indication that they're extraterrestrial where all that is flipped around now where they're saying, yeah, it is a real threat uh, to navigation and, and to, uh, to flight. Well, it's a and real thing. Yeah, it's, it's a, a real it's thing. It's a real thing, and it's a threat, and that uh, they're not taking it off the table that these could be extraterrestrial. Yeah, so it, so it seems that uh, this is a non-judgmental atmosphere. It's sort of like we need to try to understand it so we can separate the wheat from the chaff, but we're, we're dismissing no one. We're dismissing no possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, until we we look at this some more, so I, I find that fascinating. And, and when quietly they're changing things like definition to to include transmedium UFOs, yeah, I mean that's what's driving that. I mean there must be a lot, a significant number of reports that this is a 
a thread they want to keep an eye on. Well, one of those those videos that was declassified was a UFO uh, flying along over the ocean, and then all of a sudden just disappeared under the the surface of the ocean. And do you remember that one? Yep. Yeah, I yeah. do. So. Uh, and you can hear them going, "It's splashed down." <laughs> yeah. So what yeah. a great place to hide, you know? Uh, absolutely. I don't know. I'm still waiting for it to be something like um, some interdimensional thing. And because it's an interdimensional thing, it can move in ways that defy physics because it's not really totally in our airspace. Right. And so it can drop below the horizon. It can drop underwater. I don't know. It, it can kind of phase in and phase out. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that's one of the explanations. Yeah. Uh, also, that it could be humans from the distant future uh, coming back into the past uh, with right. uh, you know more developed technology. I, I don't know. See that that for me that's the the time travel paradox. That if if time travel was possible, we would have encountered time travelers by now. Or maybe maybe we can't send humans back, but we can send our own drones backward. You know, I mean, who, who yeah. knows? Yeah. So I thought I thought that was interesting. It is. Any anything additional on this topic? Well. Um, one of the things that comes up often in discussing these things is is the uh, Fermi paradox. Oh, that's right, Fermi paradox. Fermi, which which states that uh, it's a discrepancy between uh, the lack of evidence of advanced uh, civilizations compared to the relative likelihood that they exist. So that you know, basically, there's so many solar systems, so many galaxies. Um, um, with within the cosmos, uh, the likelihood of there being intelligent life out there is is very high. However, there there's no evidence of it, and it it, it goes back to Enrico Fermi, the Italian American physicist. He was going to lunch with uh, with a bunch of his uh, fellow workers in 1950 that were from, from the Manhattan Project, and they're talking about this. And in the middle of lunch, he just says. Where are they? If they're out there, how come there there's nobody that we haven't had contact with anybody? That then that's the paradox. And there's a bunch of explanations of of uh, why this might be. One is that extraterrestrial life is rare or non-existent. That the uh, the nature of intelligent life is to destroy itself, which is pretty depressing. Another is that any life that's out there is too far away to make it here that communication is dangerous so other civilizations choose not to communicate with us that alien life may already be here mm -hmm. i don't know about that uh that they're too alien that we're not listening to the right thing that if, even if we could make contact with them we'd have no way to communicate because they're just not at all like us or that everyone's listening and nobody's nobody's talking and i mean the the other thing i kind of keep open to is the idea that um, we we always view the unknown in ways that our senses can kind of understand. Mm -hmm. And so we visualize aliens as being somewhat around our size, that they have a skin that reflects light, you know? And, and so who's to say aliens are not microscopic? or not visible to the naked eye. And so they're moving around at will and we'd <laughs> never know they were there. Yeah. We're not looking for it. You know, it's, it's almost like, you know, life on other planets. We're looking at it according to our construct. So we could be bumping into it and not even recognize it. So I think, I think probably what scientists are doing on some level is they're keeping their parameters open, recognizing that life on other planets 
may or may not be really close to what's on Earth. Between topics here, I think I should throw in a slight advertisement for the cathartic yardstick. Okay. For what it's worth, our episode 47 on funny Amazon reviews, I don't know what's been going on in your household, but I, I have heard the greatest response to our funny Amazon review episode 47 as being the funniest one yet. And it, I, this is the first time I've actually had people I'm associated with Facebook, uh, on mm -hmm. with Facebook, you know, contact me and say, hey, I was, at, uh, I was at work and I just happened to stumble across your podcast and listen to the Amazon. That was hysterical. And then it caused me to binge listen. And it's like, wow, that's atypical. Wow. That's so great. my advertisement would be for the, you hundreds of thousands of folks out there and Estonian bots who are uh, listening to us. Make sure you catch the Amazon funny review thing. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, and uh, drop us a note. Uh, if you have an idea for a topic, write it down and we will talk about it. Yeah, yeah. And even if it was like criticism, I think we'd be thrilled that somebody wrote in. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll take anything at this point. <laughs> so any concluding thoughts on uh, UAP, UFOs? Yeah, or? there was that one case uh, with that, I guess technically it'd be an asteroid, uh, Oumuamua. That's my next topic, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, all right. Then I, I will not steal your thunder on that one. We will talk about that next. I have no thunder. It's really more of a light rumbling, and that could oh, okay. be Taco Bell. <laughs> it could we be. We really don't know. Now- yeah, this is this is Hawaiian, and and I, I tried to I, I figured on my notes I'd better put it down phonetically, and the phonetic pronunciation I ran into was Omama, so I, I have no idea. But Omama, oh, so, one, yeah, it's funny. The one, the, yeah, I got Amua Mua as 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 a phonetic and, pronunciation, and that may be correct. I don't know, but no, no matter how we. Phrase it. This is what we're talking about. O U M U A M U A, but it means scout in Hawaiian or or one who came before uh, in Hawaiian. But it's pretty cool. In uh, October of seventeen, see your cathartic yardstick reporters are scouring the news twenty four seven to relieve you so that you can go live your life. We will bring the news to you, and it's in an unbiased, even handed fashion. A absolutely. And if it's not, at least it's in the most entertaining fashion, which is and the important. if we thing. don't talk about it, you don't need to know it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Just listen to us and do as we say, and your life will be better. Um, anyways, in October of 2017, astronomers spotted what they said was the very first suspected interstellar object moving through our solar system, which tells you how much crap there is that apparently we stay pretty self-contained with asteroids and meteors. So I guess that's in our own little neighborhood. Mm -hmm. But this is, this is, they said, the first uh, suspected interstellar object moving through our solar system. It was on a slingshot trajectory around the sun, which in Star Trek would mean it's time travel, which makes it possible. Right. Uh, it was on a slingshot trajectory around the sun, and it would send it soaring back out to interstellar space. And so it just zipped through our solar system and popped out the other end. The brief flyby offered only a few weeks for researchers to study Omama before it faded forever from view, leaving behind really more questions than answers. And even now, more than five years after the object's discovery, researchers are still struggling to make sense of the precious few observations they managed to obtain. Uh, this object was really odd in a number of respects. First, 
scientists can't explain why we saw such a rare object. Um, Avi Loeb, who's the chair of the Harvard University's astronomy department, says that astronomers observe the solar system and can calculate the rate at which rocks were ejected during its history. We can presume all planetary systems were doing the same thing. So through that, we can kind of estimate what the population of interstellar objects should be. And that population is so small that it doesn't really explain uh, Omama. Uh, two, it was an odd shape. It has a very extreme shape that they've never seen before in either asteroids or comets. Asteroids and comets are generally fairly rounded, but this one was um, elongated, kind of cigar-shaped. It was between uh, 300 and 3,000 feet long and between 115 or 548 feet wide. Uh, three, they couldn't detect any heat from it, which I guess is unusual. I don't know. Uh, four, they said it's 10 times more reflective than any previous asteroid or comet. Five, they said it had a slow velocity. Most space rocks move roughly at the speed of the star they came from, and only one in 500 stars uh, move as slowly as Oumuamua. Um, six, there was an odd acceleration. They said, you know, scientists know and can measure the gravitational pull of the sun. They can estimate the mass and density of space objects, and they can calculate how the sun's gravitational pull will react on them. But Omalma accelerated more quickly than the scientists' calculations. Normally, one might see this in comets when there's an extra push of gas evaporating from the ice and on the surface of the comet as the sun warms. Um, but comets show the evaporation through having a tail. Comets have tails. This one didn't have one. They said, we have never, ever seen outgassing without dust. Never. One astronomer said, dust and ice usually go together. Plus, if it was ejecting gas, that would impact its rate of spin, but astronomers didn't observe that at all. Another possibility could be that light from the sun gave it an extra push, almost like a solar sail. Um, but Loeb estimates that this only would have worked if the object was less than a millimeter thick. So he says that, that theory is out there as well. So this unexplained acceleration and movement led Avi Loeb, again, chair of Harvard University's, University's astronomy department, not a kook, uh, to speculate that it might have been made by artificial means, by an alien civilization. Loeb doesn't really view that possibility as speculative. He points out that we exist, and at least a quarter of the stars in the Milky Way have a planet like Earth with surface conditions that may be similar to Earth's, and the chemistry of life as we know it could develop. There are tens of billions of stars in the Milky Way, so it's, he says it's quite likely that we're not alone. Now, Loeb wrote a paper wherein he speculated that the object may be a fully operational probe sent intentionally to Earth's vicinity by an alien civilization. He, um, he said that his motivation in writing the paper was to make the point that the scientific community needs to pay a lot more attention to the next visitor. And it gets progressively more interesting from here. They said the, um, he says, it's possible the civilization no longer exists, but that before its demise, it sent out a probe. We sent out Voyager 1 and 2. Uh, the point is that this is the very first object we found from outside the solar system. Now, in, on the 7th of March of 2023, there was a paper written by Loeb 
again, Harvard astronomer, but it was co-written by Sean Kirkpatrick, who's the director of the All-Domain Anomaly Research Resolution Office, right? Part of the Director of National Intelligence working at the Pentagon. And they were talking about the possibility that this could actually be a mothership that was deploying drones. He goes, that's exactly how we'd explore multiple planets from one mothership. So again, it's an interesting illustration of how much government attitude towards alien possibilities has changed. Uh, no more swamp gas. Uh, now, now you've right. actually got the director of the Pentagon's All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office co-authoring a paper with a Harvard astronomer. And they're both completely open to the possibility that uh, we've been visited by aliens. So pretty cool. Yeah. I'll jump on the conspiracy theory side. Maybe they already know. Maybe they know something. Maybe they do. Maybe they're preparing for uh, disclosure. Maybe they do. With my luck, I would run into an alien who basically says, we've been notifying you that your car warranty has recently expired. Get away <laughs> yes. from me. But, you know, I, I remember when, when it was first in the news and there were, you know, renditions of what it might look like. And it always was just a, a long needle-shaped piece of rock. And I'm thinking, how could that be a spaceship? It's just a piece of rock. Then I realized, oh, no, they really don't know what it looks like. That's just, you know, a, a concept of what it might look like. We really don't have any, any kind of clear image of it. Although there seem to be, and, and that's the other thing they feel bad about. And I don't, I don't know how this works in astronomy. But they basically said it shot through our solar system quickly enough where it was only visible for like a couple of weeks or whatever. And that's not enough time to really get images of it or whatnot. So I don't know what kind of technology they're, they're using. And I do know that there is a school of thought that basically says, you know, part of the reason why it accelerated more than anybody would have anticipated around the sun is that it's almost like dry ice. I mean, we, we're, we're looking at it like yeah. it's made of iron or something, and really it's made of something much lighter that moves more quickly. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, I saw that like, there might be some you know, frozen hydrogen right. or something on it, and it just, uh, it just basically uh, an icicle flying through space, which would explain the lack of a tail, uh, the reflectiveness of it, the acceleration. So, so who knows? Yeah, yeah who, who knows? Um, so it's possible, but I find it very interesting that, again, your government is saying, uh, we're not judging it. <laughs> you know, any, anything's possible. Yeah. That's phenomenally different. I, I ran into an article about uh, Avi Loeb trying to organize a trip to Papua New Guinea to look for uh, a meteor, the, the crash there. Well, I guess it would be a meteorite. Uh, looking for a meteorite that hit Papua New Guinea in, in 2014 that he thinks may be uh, from outside of our solar system. I thought you were going to say he's going to New Guinea to look for Amelia Earhart. I was, was going to say, she's she's called the show. She's called us. <laughs> she has. She has. She knew she, we were talking oh about her. Oh, my gosh. That was scary. <laughs> That's another good episode you <laughs> ought to listen to. When, yes. When you, co when you cover a show dealing with Amelia Earhart, and the theory is that she's in what, Kiribati? Is that the name of the island? I, oh, I don't remember. And then suddenly my phone goes off like the next day and it's caller ID, but it's calling from Kiribati. I said, oh my gosh. I actually <laughs> tried to call back that number, but it didn't go through. Probably because Amelia's battery died. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. She tried. She tried to, she liked the show. She did. Another interesting story that I think is actually really freaking cool because occasionally you can be a newbie at something. And, and get great results. Yeah. 
But um, you've probably read these articles where people are saying, what happens if we were to have another like asteroid hit that would just kill life as we know it on the planet Earth, you know, and other people are saying, gosh, I wonder if, you know, NASA could launch something to deflect a meteorite that was posing a threat. You know, it's like all very, very theoretical. Well, it was very theoretical, but there was uh, recently a thing called the DART asteroid deflection test. So in September of 2022, NASA actually tried to test whether an asteroid that was posing a threat to the Earth could be deflected. So they conducted a first ever test of a planetary defense system called the Double Asteroid Redirection Test, DART. And apparently this thing was about the size of a golf cart, and it collided with a great pyramid-sized asteroid called Dimorphos. The impact not only changed the asteroid's orbit around another space rock, but the deflection was actually significantly greater than what they thought it was going to be, uh, which means that if a dangerous asteroid were ever detected heading for Earth, now it's possible that we might try to launch a mission to collide with it. Uh, it might well be possible to divert it away from the planet. They said that uh, one factor is that the spacecraft hit a spot around 25 meters from the asteroid's center, maximizing the force of its impact. So it was a bullseye. And this one I thought was interesting only because it shows you how little I know about physics. I always think in terms of for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, but emphasis on equal. Um, they said an, another thing that may have helped them is the large amounts of the asteroid's rubble flew outward from the impact. The recoil of this force pushed the asteroid further off its previous trajectory. Now, I don't, I don't know how that works, but I would think if you hit something at 17,000 miles an hour, you're going to get, you know, a 14,000 mile an hour ejection. But I, I don't know. Um, yeah. I, well, I guess uh, for, for something like that, it's the, the craft didn't, didn't bounce off. Right. So all the energy, all the kinetic energy from that, that uh, the craft hitting it got absorbed uh, by the asteroid right. in, in some form. I so. just wouldn't expect the the stuff that's jettisoned to then create like a rocket nozzle. You know what I mean? It's like... Well, it's it's like uh, like stepping out of a boat. If you've ever done that at a dock, when you go to step out of the boat, you end up pushing the boat off. And if you're not careful, you'll just end up in the yeah. water. It's the same sort of thing as, as the rocks leaving the surface of the... Uh, uh, of the, the asteroid, it's like like you stepping out of the boat onto the dock. Hmm. Well, I don't care if they see an asteroid coming. I am not going to fly up in a spaceship to like dock a boat to it and get off. I, I won't do it. There's not a lot of air up there. <laughs> there is so not. They no. said that researchers estimate that this spray of rubble meant that uh, Dimorphos's added momentum was almost four times that imparted by the dart itself, which is fascinating to me yeah, it's almost like more amazing. reaction than you had action but i don't know uh, well, that part i don't get yeah that that's i, I can't see the math on that's that why one. we need to interview a nasa scientist i think why don't you work on that okay um, maybe maybe for the big 50th we'll have a, a guest uh, guest star 51st Come on. plans for the 50th okay <laughs> um scientists they said will get a close-up of the impacts aftermath in late 2026 
when a European space agency craft named Hera will arrive at Dimorphos. Uh, researchers are keen to see what sort of impact crater the uh, dart smash left. And so, uh, any thoughts on the dart test? It was very cool. We, we both watched that live. Um, I was not expecting to see as much of a impact uh, reaction as, as I saw. Um, yeah. You know, it was, it was pretty amazing. Be because it was all like in theory, I kind of thought this thing would hit and not do much of anything. Or it's like, well, there was almost no reaction, but it gives us something to work on, something, some thoughts to mm -hmm. ponder. I did not expect them to say, holy crap, not only was it successful, it was way more successful than we thought it was going to be. It's like, wow, it's yeah. like pushing something over in space. It's easy. It's like I did not expect that. So I, I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I guess for, for something like that, if, if they've uh, calculated the path and there's something headed towards Earth, you don't have to move it very far for it to miss Earth. Yeah. Especially if it's pretty far That's out. That's right. Uh, it just... Yeah, you know, probably centimeters is enough. Right. The thing, the things that spook me is I'll still occasionally see an article talking about something they didn't realize, but it's right on top of us now. But it's going to miss us by a couple. Mm -hmm. So it's like there's right. crap flying around there that you're not tracking. It's like yikes, you know? Yeah. So well, but, you know, sometimes uh, I've seen where something will. Uh, pass uh, within the moon's orbit to Earth, and I always think, "Wow, my gosh! Isn't how did they not know that that was coming? And isn't that close?" But the moon is so much further out than I, I think it actually is. I always think it's pretty close to us, but it, it's pretty far Relatively out. Relatively speaking, it's close to us, but compared to how far right. everything else is, yeah, yeah. So uh, I have a last space story, a weird story, very short, but. Uh, it's noteworthy, nonetheless. Uh, and to finish off, I have a non-space one, but it's a science one. So it kind of gets into some interesting science here. But the, the last space story uh, I ran into was uh, the Mosul orb. Have you been following that? No. Yeah, this is very, very interesting. Um, on April 16th, 2016, there was apparently a drone surveillance flight over Mosul, Iraq. And it happened to catch video of a metallic sphere flying underneath it. Uh, so it was caught on camera and it has just leaked out of uh, intelligence circles and it's hit some media. So if you Google the Mosul orb, uh, you'll see the photographs of it. And supposedly this is one of the UAPs being investigated by the all domain anomaly resolution office. So it was pretty cool. Now it's, to be fair, it's kind of blurry, um, and you know, um, it could be you know bug guts <laughs> on, the, on the camera <laughs> of the drone. But it it would look like a uh, potential uh, metallic object flying underneath the drone. Mm. So that was pretty cool. And that is, yeah. I found out like you know when we had the whole. Uh, issue over balloons, the Chinese balloon, and then all of a sudden there's balloons everywhere or things that might be balloons. Uh, and in any given day, there's about 1,800 weather balloons that are launched around yeah. the world. So there's a lot of stuff yeah. up there. Yeah, there really is. 
What's uh, really cool is I remember being a little kid and uh, going with my dad who worked at GE, but we went to uh, Schenectady County Airport. And back then there was a bunch of GE labs and stuff like that, avionics labs uh, on the Schenectady County Airport, uh, along with, it's still today, uh, I think the only national Air National Guard unit that does uh, Antarctica, like Arctic operations, is is mm-hmm. stationed out of uh, out of the Schenectady County Airport. Um, but anyways, we went there to see a weather balloon launch, which was pretty cool. I remember waiting around for freaking ever for these people to let go of this big white rubber balloon, but it was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So the last story. They're also, oh, I'm sorry, it's just another uh, thing about weather balloons is they're not very tightly regulated. Yeah, like to, to exactly. fly a drone, there's, you, there's all sorts of things you got to do. You can even release a weather balloon uh, in, in um, controlled airspace. It just says, you know, try to avoid it if you can, but you're not prohibited from doing that. Now, why do you think that is? Why would they so tightly control drones, but not weather balloons? I think it's just a historic thing, and uh, even with drones, there's there's some allowances for if you're doing scientific research. So, uh, ostensibly, all the weather balloons are scientific research, so they kind of give them a pass. Yeah, I would imagine if one gets ingested into a jet engine, it's not a not a happy day. No, yeah, but uh, no. So that's interesting. Mm. Well, my my last story here, I think, is kind of cool but it's in a way that kind of keeps your eyes open at night a little disturbing like we need more disturbing news right um but uh, this one has to do with viruses that are in permafrost um oh yeah you know apparently like in the arctic you have uh, ground that's been frozen for eons you know and in the ground are viruses and there's also uh what kind, of, what kind of gas is it? I forget. I believe it's methane gas. But with global warming, what's happening is some of these lands are starting to thaw out. Um, but one thing is possible is there's also dormant viruses um, uh, underground. So it's not only the, the rise in sea levels that's the threat, but we need to also worry about other threats that are lurking beneath the surface. Um, the world's oldest permafrost found in Siberia has been frozen for over 650,000 years. Around uh, th- uh, 17 billion tons of carbon are thought to be sequestered in this frozen soil, and it's released wow. into the atmosphere as the permafrost thaws. But uh, the greenhouse gases aren't the only issues. Microbes that have been locked in the soil for millennia are also beginning to emerge. They said a single gram of permafrost can contain hundreds of thousands of species of dormant microbes, many of which are thought to be able to survive through extreme conditions. So in 2016, for example, there was an outbreak of anthrax in northern Siberia that killed a 12-year-old boy and thousands of animals. So unusually warm weather had accelerated the thawing of the permafrost in the region, and the outbreak is thought to have been caused by anthrax spores released from a recently exposed reindeer carcass from long, long ago. So pathogens thought to be extinct, such as smallpox, may also be lurking within the frozen soil, as might ancient viruses uh, that we have no natural immunity to and no effective vaccines or treatments for uh, might be there. 
So in 2014, a group of uh, French and Russian researchers actually reactivated or reanimated a giant virus containing hundreds of genes that had been found under the Siberian permafrost. The virus, known as Pandora virus, I wonder why, <laughs> uh, had laid dormant for 30,000 years under the ice. While this particular virus only infects amoeba, uh, its very existence proves that microbes locked in the permafrost can still be activated thousands of years after they were first frozen. If amoeba viruses can survive in these conditions, then there's no reason for other viruses not to survive as well. Jean-Michel Clavier, who led the research, told Newsweek. So while today fewer than 5 million people live in close proximity to the Arctic permafrost, global warming is set to open up new shipping routes and resource pools, which will in turn increase trade and tourism in the region. And as a result, more people are likely to come into contact with ancient pathogens. The public risk is coming from the accelerated release of previously frozen viruses combined with increased human exposure since global warming is also making Arctic areas more accessible to industrial development, Clavier said. Uh, warming temperatures will also cause more animals to migrate northward, which will bring viruses into contact with many potential new hosts. And that increases the risk of viruses spilling over from one species to another. Uh, similar spillover events have been behind the emergence of recent pandemics like SARS, COVID, and HIV. Um, in a recent study, researchers at the University of Ottawa in Canada used a genetic analysis to assess how the risk of viral spillover could increase as a result of rising global temperatures. And as it turns out, the risk of reanimated viruses isn't only found in thawing permafrost, it's also found in glacier runoff. The viral spillover allows viruses to mix and evolve and diversify. So the point was that as Earth continues to warm, the Arctic could become a fertile ground for the emergence of future pandemics. Oh, happy day. I know, yeah. I saw something about uh, someone who had the first case of... Uh a human infection with a fungus that they think is or is also related to uh, global warming. Uh, and if you've watched the, the Last of Us, uh, you know how that ends. So it's logical. It's not happy, but it's logical. And so uh, interesting times ahead, maybe. It's funny how that becomes sort of a, a chain reaction where it gets warmer, it more melts, it releases more gases that make it more warmer. Yeah. And, you know, how do you stop yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. Well, very interesting. So he, those are your UFO space and science updates from the Cathartic Yardstick Studios in New York and Virginia, the nation's capital. That's right. Coming to you live. As, as we always do here. Mm -hmm. We ought to have a uh, five-second delay for any inadvertent cuss words <laughs> as we're live. <laughs> yeah. So any uh, closing observations or thoughts? Um. Do you think the rate of things are changing? Have you ever felt like this before, that like maybe things are just kind of falling apart a little bit? Uh, 19, 19, I don't know that I've ever felt this 1968, but that was limited to social upheaval. Yeah. Um, but this is, and of course, you know, the more you know about science, the more you don't know. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, we get, we don't really get a whole lot of good news. 
Oh, I heard a joke last week. What do you call uh, two guys mansplaining things to each other? What? A podcast. <laughs> uh, I see what you did there. <laughs> That's good stuff. Oh, well. Any other podcast goal to throw in? I think it helps to like think about it, read about it, try to understand it. It does make it a little less scary. Yeah, it puts it in perspective a little bit. Yeah. Um, well, at least we get to potentially deflect asteroids. That's right. That could be so, fun. So, you know, we might not have a rapid death. It may be a slow lingering one. All right. Maybe next time we should do happy news. Okay. All right. We'll look for, we'll look for happy news if we can find any. Okay. All right. So, we done recording? I think we're done. Unless you want a, a little zinger for the end, I, I think. Uh, the end. I don't yeah. got nothing. All right. We got nothing. Uh, tune in again. You've been listening to the Cathartic Yardstick Podcast. Join us again as we contemplate the profound nature of the universe. And what's, what's the deal with the anal probing stuff? Well, the only problem with me is I'd be asking for a second opinion. <laughs> Any more aliens in there? <laughs> these, these are our ways, the ways of our people. We don't want to insult them. <laughs> <laughs>